0: I have devised a list of things I dislike about Christmas. (laughs) The John Lewis adverts. The music of pentatonics. Home Alone, Home Alone 2. The weird cloying taste that advent calendar chocolate leaves in your mouth. Turkey, the worst bird. The utterly baffling insistence on playing Michael Bublé. Rubbish decorations such as scary plastic snowmen. That Sainsbury's advert from a few years back that co opted World War I imagery to sell stuff. Pentatonics again, as it bears repeating. The fact that every Christmas film ends sentimentally. I wish it could be Christmas every day, last Christmas, so here it is, Merry Christmas. All I want for Christmas is you. The songs of popular a cappella group Pentatonics. <laughs> Tinsel, overpriced and overcrowded Christmas markets, Love Actually, the worst film. (laughs) X-Factor finalists, people complaining about the war on Christmas, the music of Pentatonix, Coca-Cola adverts being heralded as the start of Christmas, and finally, too many adaptations of A Christmas Carol. (laughs) Yes, some might call me a bit of a Scrooge. Um, It's slightly misleading There are bits I like about Christmas There's just a lot of the ephemera around it that really winds me up And when I was asked to talk about what would Jesus say about Christmas presents I won't lie My first instinct was to think he would probably be horrified by Christmas as it is today And then I thought about it a bit more And I thought Jesus is no Scrooge And for all of my complaining There is a lot that is good about Christmas, and I think there are things about Christmas that Jesus would like. So, I'm going to approach this question quite loosely. What would Jesus think about Christmas presents? It's not going to be an exegesis of a particular passage. I'll start by answering it more literally first. What would Jesus think about Christmas presents and Christmas and all of that? And I want to talk about generosity, but then, because this is a Christian talk, I kind of have to say that the best Christmas present ever is Jesus. That's like preaching 101. That is your standard Sunday school answer. But don't switch off at that point if you've been coming along to church for many years and you think, well, of course I know that. Because the gospel is always good. And what I, what I actually want to do is dig into the majesty of the incarnation, that is, Jesus becoming human, and work out why that's so important, and then that will lead us into worship. But Let's start by reading a part of the Christmas story, um, the bit where Jesus actually got the first ever Christmas presents, and then I'll pray. So it's in Matthew 2, and it's verses 1 to 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For 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 from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold... they departed their own country by another way i think jesus would like christmas presents not because the wise men not just because the wise men were the ones that instituted the tradition but because i believe he as a principle he loves generosity generosity is woven into the whole bible it's written in the old testament laws so many of them are about generosity where they say give without claiming unfair interest. Share your possessions. The story of Ruth is one of her benefiting from the generosity of the people of God where she picks up the grain that they were told to leave behind so that the poorer people in the country might benefit. The people of Israel were told to give from their first fruits, to welcome the immigrant and the outsider, to have a year of jubilee where everyone is relieved of their debts. Generosity is a key part of the entire Old Testament. And then when we reach Jesus, he preaches generosity. He tells us not to store up treasures on earth like misers, because thieves or rot will take them. He commends the poor widow who gives everything that she has. And his first impact on Zacchaeus a greedy man is to change his heart, a bit like Scrooge, so that he wants to give everything away. And then we see it played out in the early church, this generosity that's been woven throughout the whole Bible. In Acts 4, we see that the church shared all of their possessions with one another so that no one was in need. And in Second Corinthians 8, Paul describes giving to the church as an act of grace. So generosity is clearly in the character of God. And it's a trait that all Christians are called to. And giving Christmas gifts is essentially an act of generosity. It's an expression of love and affection through the act of giving something away. And I think Jesus would be behind that. I'm going to take this off because it's actually really uncomfortable. (laughs) But how do we square that up? with the rampant commercialism and the love of money that seems to fuel Christmas these days. We're told to be generous, but we also don't want to take part in, in this society because I don't think Jesus would be quite as happy with people filling their Decembers with stress and anxiety or spending more than they can afford in order to placate friends and family. It, It doesn't take a Scrooge to wonder if we as a society have perhaps taken the whole gift-giving thing a bit too far to the point where it's lost its joy and it's become a burden for many people. So there is tension here. We're called to generosity and I think that should characterize our gift-giving. But also, we don't necessarily want to be uh, joining in with the people rampaging into shops to get the best deals. But As with most aspects of society, Christians are called to be set apart. There are many things that you as a Christian probably cherish that you see society doing in a totally different way. And you think, but that's our thing. Say, spirituality or marriage. And you're looking at how society is doing and thinking, that's not how I see the Bible telling us to do it. But as with those things... Christmas can feel the same like that. And we're just called to do it differently anyway. We've always been told to do it differently. And it's a chance for us to be set apart from the rest of society. It may feel like Christmas is slipping away from you, but actually use this chance to do it differently. And that will be a testimony to your work colleagues, to your family, to people you're studying with. If you're saying, actually, no, this is what Christmas is about for me. It's not about that. It's about this. Then that's going to stand apart from the way that everyone else is doing it. If you approach it without stress and anxiety, people are going to wonder why. Now, what's the practical outworking of this? Well, C.S. Lewis said in his essay, What Christmas Means to Me, I see no reason why I should volunteer views as to how other people should spend their own money in their own leisure among their own friends. And C.S. Lewis is a very wise man, so I'm going to listen to him on that one. I'm not here to tell you to spend more or to spend less. I think that's actually down to something of of you and your conscience, and everybody does it differently. But, and and for some of you, in fact, you may be on a limited budget anyway, so giving into commercialism isn't even really an option for you. But it's worth asking, how can you do Christmas differently? Uh, And maybe ask now, what is Jesus saying to you? About maybe something you can change in the way you do Christmas to be appealingly countercultural. And how will you express generosity? The guiding principle, of course, comes from Acts 20, verse 35, which says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I just think that's a really great place to start. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So there are three areas you can be generous one, be generous with your money. Now, that doesn't mean spending loads on gifts for your nearest and dearest. Um, And this will mean something different for everyone here. It could mean um, being generous with your money by giving as much to charity as you give towards buying presents. And that will obviously be a sacrifice where you have to balance your budget a little bit uh, more cannily. It might mean only buying from ethical sources instead of multinational conglomerates. Um... And again, that perhaps comes with a sacrifice because that might mean that your presents are harder to find or less tailored to the person because there's less choice out there. But it might be that today you feel a conviction that you only want to spend your money on things that will also bless the people behind the product. I would also say being generous with your money means don't stop giving to the church. You know, in December, money is especially tight and you might think, oh... I know I normally give some of my money to the church, but really, I'm, I'm being generous with my money this, with other people, so you know, I can just perhaps not give there this month, but actually, Jesus said, "Where your treasure is there, your heart is also." And the work of building the kingdom doesn't stop in December when all of the local businesses shut down. But it's not just about being generous with your money. Um, it could be being generous with your home. Acts 4, uh, that I mentioned before, says, No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them. Wouldn't that be nice if there was not a needy person among us, if church was characterized by that hospitality and generosity, which actually I think is something we do really well. And I, I'm privileged to know so many of you that will regularly open up your homes or say, you know, this car isn't mine, it's God's, it's for for his purposes, his glory. But perhaps for some of us at Christmas time, this is one area where we get a little more miserly, where it's not actually, we're happy to give money away. But the thing that we hold on to are our traditions and our space and our peace. You know, where you think, Oh, I'm fine to give money away, but I don't want anyone invading my time, inv- invading my Christmas, because this is how I do it. How do I know that this is a risk? Because I'm very guilty of it myself. I was home on the Isle of Man just recently, and my mum and dad were wanting to do Christmas differently this year, and they said we were thinking of inviting some elderly people in the community that are lonely into the house. And honestly, my first reaction was, oh, thinking but that's going to invade my nice day just by myself, opening presents, reading books, that kind of thing. And I felt something rebel in me, whereas actually, I believe mum and dad were totally right to be doing that, and I still haven't told them that. So someone remind me after this to call my parents. So open up your home if you know someone who needs it. Let people in. Let no one be needy. And while we're at it, there is actually an international student that I know who is currently going to be alone at Christmas. So if you're in or near Edinburgh, please do come and speak to me afterwards. But you can also be generous with your time, which is perhaps the thing that you have the most control of over Christmas. Are you returning home to be with your parents? Serve your family around the home. You know, wash up after the big Christmas meal when everyone just wants to relax in the lounge. Clean the house to bless your parents. Spend a good amount of time with your family, having conversations with them. They probably miss you a lot. Use your time off to visit people who could use companionship. Get in touch with people that God's put on your heart. And use that time to take your time choosing your presence as well. If you don't have much to spend, then take time to think of something that will really bless the other person, not just something off their wish list. Because how nice is it when you get given something that is, is like just right for you? It's that present that's just like, oh, you know me. It's a sign of saying, hey, I know and care about you. I know exactly the kind of thing that you're after. So there's just some tips on generosity. Being generous with your money, with your home, with your time. Those are all ways we can just really show the generosity that's modeled for us in the Bible over Christmas. And I think it's a time in particular where we need to do that. But we are generous because Jesus was first generous to us. If you go... Back to the story in Matthew of the wise men bringing their gifts to Jesus. I'm not entirely sure that the wise men knew who they were bringing their gifts to. They knew he was important for sure. And they knew they had to bring something kingly and worshipful. That this was the kind of event where the stars in heaven were realigned just to announce how incredible this event is. But did they grasp that this was the word made flesh? I'm not sure they could have. They said he was some king of the Jews that they knew was being born and they knew they had to come and worship him. It's hard to know what they were thinking. The presents they brought certainly represent different aspects of the incarnation. Gold for a king, frankincense for worship, myrrh because he was born to die. I think we often risk bypassing the incarnation, the miracle of what happened on this day, which, as you know, probably wasn't December 25th. If you speak to uh, Jonah Jones, he's convinced that it's his birthday, October 15th. So I I don't know where he got that from, but that's what he reckons. But we'll often bypass Christmas. We know that it's, you know, the birth of Jesus and that kind of thing, but perhaps we don't stop to contemplate the, the beauty of the incarnation. And that's why I want to major on it, to say that actually... When Jesus, if Jesus was to talk to us about Christmas presents, he would say the greatest gift of all was me. The wise man, the wise men, travelled across the world. In fact, I was just talking to Josh Rook before this started, saying they probably picked up their frankincense and myrrh from Saudi Arabia. So they travelled a long way to meet this newly born king. They understood the importance of this moment. I don't mean that the greatest Christmas present, the greatest Christmas the greatest Christmas present ever was Jesus in a glib way. It really is the greatest gift that God could have given. And I want to talk about two reasons quickly why the incarnation is a world-changing event. Two reasons to take it more seriously than ever. Two reasons to point us towards worship. And you know, when you think about the incarnation and the majesty of this moment, the carols that we sing will begin to make sense. The generosity of the season will come more naturally to you. It'll be easier to love others because you have a fuller sense of the love that Jesus has for you. So, firstly, the incarnation is a tangible, understandable revelation of God. Because the Old Testament is a series of stories where God is revealing himself to his people, trying to draw them to him, and they regularly reject him. And he revealed himself in so many different ways he reveals himself through his creation, he revealed himself through the fact that we are made in his image. He revealed himself through prophets and leaders that God put in place to to speak to his people. And he revealed himself through the law, where we learn about his character. But time and time again, people turned from him. They rejected him. They looked in things of the earth to find what only God could give. But he had one more way to reveal himself to the people he created. Through a human embodiment of himself. Um, I asked my old flatmate, Josh, uh, on good books on the incarnation, because I knew he wanted to speak about the incarnation, and he's read so much. And I thought he was going to recommend a modern church leader to me, uh, perhaps like John Piper or Tim Keller or something. And he said, why don't you read Athanasius of Alexandria, who was a fourth century bishop? Um, And I thought, Okay. Um, Athanasius, we know, is one of the good guys. If you want to learn more about him, Natalie on the welcome team is an expert in that era. So do go and ask her questions afterwards. Um, And I started reading this 4th century writer and was blown away by the way that he expressed the the beauty of the incarnation. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read some 4th century bishops' writings here. And when he was talking about the way people regularly turned away from God because they they couldn't grasp him, they, they ignored the revelations of God. He said, he deals with them as a good teacher deals with his pupils, coming down to their level and using simple means. Men had turned from the contemplation of God above and were looking for him in the opposite direction, down among created things and things of the senses. The Savior of us all, the Word of God, in his great love, took himself a body and moved as a man among men, meeting their senses, so to speak, halfway. He became himself an object for the senses, so that those who are seeking God in sensible things might apprehend the Father through the works which he, the Word of God, did in the body. So what does that mean? Humans need things to appeal to their senses things of this earth that we can properly understand. Perhaps for you, the idea of God the Father could be too abstract a concept to truly grasp. That's why a lot of humans look for other things to fulfill themselves beyond a relationship with God. Even if you're here as a Christian, there's something of God the Father that is too vast, too powerful, too awesome for your mind to fully comprehend. But in the form of Jesus, you have a very real, very tangible expression of God. You have a person of the Godhead who ate, who slept, who wept, who laughed, who drank. You have God in human form, with a human body, so you can better understand the nature of God. The perfect example of humility is expressed in Jesus. If you're trying to understand the love of God, you look at Jesus. Jesus was tempted, as humans were, the Bible says, but he overcame it. He fulfilled the law and set for us this infallible example of what a human should be. The incarnation is essential because in Jesus we see the works of God the Father outworked through the human, God the Son. Have you ever wondered why Preachers use so many visual aids. If you were here a few weeks ago in the morning, Dan had a giant door frame here that he painted red. That wasn't just because he got distracted during the week and wanted to make a door frame. We use visual aids because we respond to the things that we understand. Or, you know, I'll often use examples from films or books. There are so many ways that we need. To grasp something of this earth, something of the senses, something tangible that we understand in order to understand a much larger theological truth. And Jesus is almost the ultimate parable in this sense because he did this as well. He talked in terms of fishing and farming in ways that the people he's speaking to would understand. But he is the ultimate parable. He is the dizzying vastness of God. He's a thousand theological truths made understandable in human form. So we needed the incarnation for that. But think of what a sacrifice that was. The creator of everything becoming lower than the angels, just for the sake of us understanding him better. Imagine this. For a creator, time doesn't mean anything. Okay, So one moment, he's creating the sun, a self-sustaining power source that is 6,000 degrees on the surface alone. And then the next He's an utterly dependent baby who can't even walk. One moment he's knitting together all of the matter that has ever existed and the next he's taking on a form where he is made from that very matter so we can better understand God. But also, the incarnation was a necessary step for salvation. Can I read some more Athanasius? This is quite a long quote, but it's one of the best descriptions of why it was necessary for God to express himself in human form that I've, I've ever read, that I've ever read. And when he's talking about the Word of God here, he's referring to Jesus. He says, "The incorporeal," that means without body, an incorruptible and immaterial word of God, entered our world." He entered the world in a new way, stooping to our level in His love and self-revealing to us. He saw a race of men that, like himself, expressed the father's mind, but it was wasting out of existence, and death was reigning over all in corruption. The word perceived that corruption could not be got rid of otherwise than through death. Yet he himself, as the word, being immortal in the father's son, was, as such, could not die. For this reason, he assumed a body capable of death. Do you get that? Because... He was Jesus because he was fully God. He himself couldn't die. So he had to take on a body that was capable of death. And it was by surrendering to death the body which he had taken as an offering and sacrifice, free from every stain, that he forthwith abolished death for his human brethren by the offering of the equivalent. See, Jesus had to take on human form because humans are susceptible to death and he needed to die in order to take on our punishment Christmas was essential for Easter to happen. The incarnation happened just so God could have a body, so that body could take on the punishment that all humans deserve. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to take on human form and die, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. And then we get a relationship with God restored as a result of that. And we get given so many more gifts. The reason I think Jesus loves Christmas presents is because he loves giving gifts to us. He loves giving us the gifts of the Spirit so that we can worship him better. He, loves giving, he gave us the Bible so that we could understand him better. He gave us the church as a community so that we're not running this race alone. And I think we need to just sometimes need to receive these gifts. He gave us food and wine. You know Psalm 104 talks about how good food and wine is to gladden the heart. So enjoy it this Christmas time. Enjoy having meals with your family because both of those things are, God, are things that God has given to you. But they're, they're all secondary. The primary gift that God has given us was himself in human form. And it's the best gift we could have ever received. And both of these points would say this. The word of God, Jesus, took on human form so that we might know God better. Firstly, as a practical outworking of the will of God, played out on earth and documented in the Bible meticulously. And then that human expression of God died, the incarnation destroyed, so that we could be free from death. You know, Scrooge changes overnight, and his heart is transformed because he was visited by three ghosts who showed him the error of his ways. But that isn't how hearts change. Most of us, before we knew Jesus, knew that something was up. I don't think Scrooge didn't know how bad he was. It's not quite enough to be convicted of sin. We also need the power of Jesus that transforms our hearts. You know, God promised in Deuteronomy that he'd create a new covenant where his laws would be written on the hearts of his people. You won't become generous overnight by contemplating a bleak future where Tiny Tim dies. You learn it by becoming more like Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. That's, that's how you become more generous. That's how you become more like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in you. And all of that happened because of Christmas, because of the incarnation. I just think, and I've spent a long time not talking about presents in general, just talking about the incarnation, but I just think it's something that really bears mulling over and and contemplating and stirring us to worship. It's one of the most important events in history. It's to be held with as much awe and reverence as the resurrection. And it should lead us to worship. I think of Christmas carols as worship songs. Beautiful worship songs. That's why they stood the test of time. Most of them. Not huge on a way in a manger. But that. Christmas carols are are stunning worship songs that tell this incredible story. Hail the incarnate deity. What a phenomenal phrase, the incarnate deity. God in human form. Wow. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. What a phrase, the Lord has come. That's God arriving on earth, interrupting eternity with time so he could... Get in on that moment and transform all of time. The Lord has come. I think we should worship now. If the band could come back up, we're going to. It's not quite a Christmas carol, but it's a Christmasy song. We sang it at the Christmas carol service a couple of years ago, and I think we sang it last year as well. It's "He Shall Reign Forevermore," and it's just singing of um, the beauty of what Jesus did at Christmas time. Um, and let's just think of this incredible gift that Jesus has given us and let that stir us to worship, to become more like Jesus, to grow in our generosity because we love because he first loved us. We are generous because he was first generous to us. So let's worship this amazing God.